1: CBD is one of the important cannabinoids or components of the cannabis plant. So CBD essentially is a good anti-inflammatory and an anti-anxiety agent within the cannabis plant. It works on the serotonin receptors by increasing their sensitivity. And at the end, can both decrease the inflammation and decrease anxiety associated with mental disorders. Hi,
2: I'm Jamie Buss, and I'm the publisher and editor-in-chief of The Tonic Magazine and the producer and host of The Tonic Talk Show and podcast. I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38 years old, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll discuss medical cannabis for anxiety and mental health with Umar Syed. We'll find out whether you're a salad freak with Naomi Bassam. We'll learn about the hottest yoga trends with Jelena Da Silva. And lastly, we'll answer the most popular social media questions about gut health with Desiree Nielsen. But first, a little bit of business.
1: Suffering with pain or arthritis? Having trouble sleeping due to stress and anxiety? Understand the benefits of medical cannabis science. OptiCant CB4 relief soft gels are formulated with patented Bezosorb pharmaceutical technology and are clinically proven to deliver four and a half times more CBD into your bloodstream three times faster than conventional CBD capsules. That's reliable relief in a nutshell and in an OptiCant soft gel. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist and sign up at with two ends.ca.
2: Omar Syed is president of OptiCan, a division of Heritage Cannabis. He was the CEO of OptiCan, Inc., previous senior VP of corporate development of MedRelief Corp. Mr. Syed has 20-plus years of leadership in the pharmaceutical and medical cannabis industries, including international corporate strategy for PharmaScience Canada. Umar was part of the founding team of the first medical cannabis product development company in Canada in 2004, Synapsis Therapeutics, that innovated film strip drug delivery technology for Parkinson's disease. Welcome back to the show, Umar. How are you? Great. Thanks. Nice to be here. So last time you were on the show, we were talking about medical cannabis and how it helps with pain relief. We're going to go a different direction today. We're going to talk about mental health and anxiety. Why is the treatment of mental health and anxiety at the top of all our
1: minds, do you think? Well, I mean, even before the pandemic, mental health and anxiety were a significant problem for most adults in, in Canada and, and, and all over the world. Between 5 and 7% of adults actually have been diagnosed with some sort of anxiety disorder in their lifetime. And it, that actually had, that number has increased by at least 25% during and post pandemic. So it's something that's on people's mind because it's something that people see a lot more often, especially causing disruption in the ability to work, function, and relate to others, as well as, you know, something very common, which is disturbance in sleep and being able to rest. So it's obviously something that is much more of a concern than it ever has been before.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think and you roll in sort of like for people who are older, the isolation and, you know, even if you're in a relationship, that's sort of a double-edged sword. You can have the support of your partner or you could be... Being driven crazy by your partner and,
1: you know. Exactly. It can be many different causes. But the reality is it's more of an issue now than ever.
2: I agree. So I guess the $64,000 question is, can medical cannabis
1: be used to treat mental health issues like anxiety, et cetera? Yeah. So I get this question a lot. And I think we have to be careful about medical cannabis. It's cannabinoids. There are many different ones, THC, CBD, et cetera. And the most relevant one here in terms of anxiety is CBD. So CBD has been known to have effects of the serotonin receptor and other uh, pharmacologic effects as well. So in the end, CBD can be quite effective in relieving anxiety and works differently than most other drugs that are used for anxiety relief. And the important difference is uh, CBD does not cause sedation. Does not cause impairment, such as uh, the drugs such as benzodiazepine. So typically, people understand lorazepam or Adivan, Xanax, and others. These drugs can be habit forming and they can cause sedation and impairment in, in cognitive and motor function. So, for that reason, CBD can be a very good alternative for people uh, on a consistent basis to relieve anxiety.
2: Okay, so you say CBD, and I think plenty of the listeners know, you know, on some level what CBD is, mm-hmm. but, you know, imagine that we have somebody who really is not familiar with CBD. Can you kind of explain what it
1: is and and how it works? Sure, absolutely. So CBD is one of the important cannabinoids or components of the cannabis plant, second most prevalent after THC, the one that is known to cause euphoria or the high associated with cannabis. CBD doesn't do any of that. So CBD essentially is a good anti-inflammatory and an anti-anxiety agent within the cannabis plant. It works on the serotonin receptors by increasing their sensitivity. So that's kind of the medical side of it. And at the end, can both decrease the inflammation and decrease anxiety associated with mental disorders.
2: Okay. The thing about cannabis is when it wasn't legalized, there wasn't a ton of research to support the efficacies of it, right? It was just, it was taboo. Nobody could get the financing for it. And I know you're sort of a pioneer in, in the field. So, you know... Where do we stand now
1: with the research? Can you sort of give yeah. us an idea about that? So, good question. So, I think the, the way to think about it is there's two different ways. There's scientific rationale, which is knowing whether a, a molecule should work from a pharmacology perspective, and then there's clinical evidence. Right. So, there's really good scientific rationale why CBD does work for anxiety. So, we understand at a, at a molecular level why, how it works. From a clinical evidence standpoint, there are now clinical trials some specific ones in anxiety with CBD that show that situational anxiety, for example, can be relieved with CBD. And it really comes down to the onset of effect versus uh, how long it takes. So at our company, Optican, we have CB4 control film strips, for example, that you put under the tongue, that which have CBD and CBDA, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, CBD is the acid form of CBD, which is even more active at uh, relieving anxiety and you can have uh, an onset of action in less than five or ten minutes, which is typically what people get if they inhale CBD vapor from a cannabis plant. So we mimic that with a product that, for example, does not require you to inhale vapor, which I think is not appealing to many people.
2: Yeah, Uh, it's a bit of a stigma, right? Like if you think of smoking or inhaling it in a vapor, it connotes the recreational use, which really isn't what we're discussing today. Exactly.
1: So uh, putting a a nice little uh, Listerine type of film strip under your tongue will uh, let you have the anxiety relief within minutes, not wait hours later, and you can titrate, which means you can take more or less of it depending on if you need it for anxiety relief.
2: That's amazing. Yep. So what do you see as the role of THC in the treatment of mental health issues? Is, is it simply like to help deal in the moment like we just described if somebody's
1: feeling anxious or or is there more to it? THC itself is not really an anti-anxiety drug. It is okay. associated with other things such as pain relief and, and neuropathic pain, etc. But THC is not what I would consider an anti-anxiety drug. Okay, uh, CBD t- really is. And I think that's an important differentiation for uh, your listeners. Okay.
2: But there is sort of, we discussed this last time you were on the show. Is it called the carrier effect? What's the effect where THC
1: with CBD work together? And it is- yeah, so it's a synergistic effect. Yeah, so it is the, the synergistic effect of THC and CBD is more pronounced for uh, something like pain. Mm-hmm. In mental health, it's a little bit murkier because of the individual variances to the effects of THC. So for the most part, I do not recommend that people take THC for anxiety relief. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not even
2: like in small yeah. amounts
1: to. It, all that. That, yeah, it's more of a. Um, I would consider it not an anti-anxiety drug. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So do we know how CBD works in our bodies and, and what systems it affects? Yeah. So it works on the cannabinoid receptors for sure. Not as much as THC does and it has the other effects, but the main effect that it has for anxiety and mental health that people need to understand is that it increases serotonin receptor sensitivity and it works on the 5-HT1 receptor, which is a serotonin receptor, to help decrease anxiety that in, uh, uh, in that pathway. The best studies out there show this is the main effect on the brain of CBD. Okay. When comparing CBD to medications currently being used to treat mental health issues, what are the relative benefits? Yeah, so I think this is really important. Most of the drugs out there, so there's two types of drugs out there to treat anxiety. The first class is the benzodiazepines. I talked about them earlier. Your Ativan, your uh, Xanax, your uh, Valium. Uh, These are your typical products that have been used historically. These drugs can be habit-forming, and they cause sedation. So you have to be careful if you're driving, et cetera, uh, when you're taking these products. So that is one advantage of taking CBD, is it's not habit-forming, and it does not cause sedation or motor um, function impairment. So it's safer. So safe, effective relief without falling asleep, essentially. The other drugs that are used are called SSRIs, like Prozac and Paxil and and, uh, uh, Zoloft. These are drugs that have to be taken every day, to get anxiety relief. And they're really meant for a type of anxiety called generalized anxiety disorder, where people are feeling anxious on a daily basis and have been diagnosed with a generalized anxiety disorder. They take a while to work. Uh, They're not rapid onset, and you have to take them consistently. So that's the difference. With CBD, you can take that for symptomatic relief, or you can take that on a daily basis. We also have, for example, an Optican, we have CB4 Relief, which is a capsule, uh, which would enhance absorption of CBD. If somebody is feeling anxious throughout the day, they can take one capsule daily instead of taking the film strip, which is more rapidly acting. And this can act like, uh, for example, like the Paxil or or Zoloft in terms of uh, consistent relief uh, throughout the day.
2: So there's no concerns Uh, with addiction, even if you had sort of a generalized anxiety disorder and you were taking CBD regularly?
1: No, there's no real concern there with regards to addiction. Now, people have to be careful that some uh, drugs out there, some um, antidepressants as well, can have a drug interaction with CBD. And mm-hmm. what that really is, it's, it's a, an increase of effect of the other drug. So, uh, it increases the blood level, CBD does, of other drugs. So, if you're going to take this with, in conjunction with other anti- uh, antidepressants, you should just contact your pharmacist or physician to make sure that it's not a drug interaction that they should be concerned with. Are
2: there any other drug interactions or
1: contraindications that you're aware of? For CBD? Yes. So that's the the main issue, is the drug interactions with anticoagulants, which are blood thinners, and with some antidepressants and uh, some other classes of drugs. But again, if you're on multiple drugs and you want to try CBD for anxiety or pain, I always ask that you check with your pharmacist or your physician to make sure it's not a significant drug interaction to be concerned about. Good. Okay. So how does the body take in CBD to treat mental health issues? Right. So most people have traditionally ingested cannabinoids through vapor or inhaling a, a smoke or vapor. And that's a very effective way of getting CBD into the body. About 60, 70% is absorbed. But when you take CBD orally, like by mouth, and swallow it like in an oil or a capsule, only about 10% gets absorbed. So it's not very efficient. So what we've done at OptiCan is essentially come up with the formulation, the oral CB4 relief capsule, which has Vesasorb technology, which rapidly imp- increases the amount of CBD that it's absorbed. Instead of 10%, it's 45 to 50%. And that is significant because now you have a product that you can take less often. With our CB4 control film strips, we try to mimic the onset of action, how rapid it is. So it's similar to smoking by putting it under the tongue and the the CBD is absorbed very quickly and more efficiently under the tongue rather than being swallowed. So both of our our products essentially deal with the poor absorption issue by using pharmaceutical technology to improve the absorption and uh, make the onset of action much quicker. Does that impact the cost of your products as compared to the other CBD products? No, not really. I think our products are actually competitive, if not lower price than many of the products that you find at dispensaries. So to your audience, I would say that if you really are serious about treating your anxiety with CBD, go to optican.ca and talk to one of our uh, healthcare practitioners to get a medical document and uh, take one of our products because, you know, quite frankly, they're different than anything you would find in in a typical dispensary.
2: Okay. So I guess the question, you know, some people feel anxious or, you know, perhaps they're having difficulty sleeping from time to time. And it sounds to me like, you know, CBD is very low risk in terms of using it for isolated occurrences. Do you feel that CBD is is applicable
1: for chronic conditions, though? Yeah, so it is. And it's quite safe when we've seen it uh, used chronically with patients for pain or for anxiety. So in one thing to be careful of, CBD is not a sedating product. So it's not right. meant for sleep itself. But if you're having issues falling asleep because of anxiety, it will help a lot. Right. But if you're looking at it to cause drowsiness, it won't. And actually, that's a good thing because you can use it on a daily basis without having that as a major side effect. Makes total sense.
2: Are you still actively researching CBD? Like, is your company still doing that, or
1: are you relying on the research that's out there? Is there anything yes, new? So both. So what what we're doing now is more clinical research. So that comes down to we have products that we know are well-absorbed, uh, that are consistent in the way in which they work. So now we're looking at different indications, such as pain and uh, and anxiety and mental disorders, and looking at patient populations and testing our product versus Uh, not taking anything at all or some other products out there. So we're very much actively involved in clinical research with uh, both universities and with uh, other companies.
2: Forgive me if you can't answer this, but like when you're doing these studies, I presume you're talking to patients who are using CBD and and getting feedback from them as to, you know, how this is working for them from an anecdotal perspective. And and what's
1: the feedback that you're getting with respect to anxiety? We have some fantastic feedback. So that's why... I'm confident in telling your your listeners today that this could be a good alternative for them but again it comes down to making sure you are you're choosing the right product it's not every CBD product out there is created equally and that comes out of pharmaceutical technology to make sure it's actually working and it's absorbed.
2: Time for one last quick question. Sure. And that is, if we have piqued the interest of anybody out there mm-hmm. to learn more about CBD for anxiety, where would you direct them to go to get
1: more information? Well, you can go to our website, optican.ca, um, where you can uh, make an appointment with Relief Therapeutics, which is our clinic. Um, they, they will give you some more guidance as well. If you're really interested in getting a prescription or a medical document for one of our products. Also, there are some good websites on, online that we, that you can refer to through our OptiCan.ca website. Fantastic. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you.
2: That was Umar Syed. You can learn more about his work by visiting OptiCan with two nsca We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll figure out if you're a salad freak. With Naomi Bussin on The Tonic. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. Ever wonder if your probiotics are really working for you? To get their full benefits, probiotics must survive harsh stomach acid and get into your intestines alive. Clinical studies prove that enteric coating guarantees safe intestinal delivery of live active probiotic cells. New Roots Herbal offers a range of GPS enteric coated probiotics formulated to meet your specific needs. Available exclusively at fine health food stores, find them in the refrigerated section. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label.
3: This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio.
2: Welcome back. In addition to being a lawyer, my next guest has been writing for Tonic Magazine for many years. Since 2015, she's written the very popular cookbook review column, My Wife, Naomi. Hi, sweetheart. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing excellent today. I'm I'm curious. It's an interesting topic. I'm not sure where we're going with it. What, <laughs> what are we discussing today?
0: We're talking about freaks, but we're talking about solid freaks.
2: Yeah, I didn't know that was a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. All right.
0: Yes, and, and I have to say, you know, my name is Naomi, and I am a salad freak. Okay. True confession time.
2: True, true confession. Well, I'm not a priest. I'm not taking confessions today. <laughs> but I am interested on, on what would make somebody a salad freak. How do you self-define?
0: Well, I, I mean, I had a little help. So I just received a new cookbook called Salad Freak, which put this to mind. Because while I knew I had the symptoms, I guess I didn't have a name for it previously. Yeah. So Salad Freak is a book by Jess and she talks about, you know, constantly making salads, eating salads, thinking about the next salad, appreciating a good salad. Now, she does take it to a certain level. Yeah. She talks about spending three hours making a salad, and, you know, the perfect salad that would please Martha Stewart, who she used to work for. Right. That's not me. No. I mean, but... The point, which is that somebody who eats a lot of salads, you know, daily, uh, thinks about salads, really enjoys salad, maybe that makes them a salad freak. And that's not a bad thing. There are other kinds of freaks that might not be positive, but this one, I think, is uh, kind of a win-win.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, freak is a loaded word. Uh, You know, you're a salad maven, a salad expert, (laughs) you know. I think you understand the subtle nuances of a good salad, you know. Like I'm I'm the sandwich king. I understand how to put together a good sandwich, but you, you put together a fine salad, I will give you that.
0: I do, if I do say so myself. Mm-hmm. I believe and I've talked about it on this show before, yeah. that you know, the elements of a good salad yeah. which is underappreciated. So that, you know, what I say to people is if they think salads are boring or they're rabbit food, well they don't need to be. No. I don't like a boring salad either. Who does? Nobody likes anything that's boring.
2: It's true. I'm just appreciative of you, you like me. So there you go.
0: <laughs> but you're never boring.
2: That's true. That's true. So why don't people eat more salad? What do you think? What's stopping us from eating salad the way you like to eat salad?
0: Well, one answer is that people sort of think, oh, salad, that's not going to be filling. It's diet food, It's just vegetables, all of which could be true if you're just eating lettuce, but isn't the way I think of salads. Another thing is that it takes some effort, thought, to prepare, uh, you know, might be easier to buy a hamburger than make a salad or something like that. You know, like there's some chopping and there's some washing. And uh, now there are so many uh, conveniences, you know, the pre-washed spinach and all that.
4: Mm -hmm.
0: Remember in the olden days when we had to use a salad spinner and wash our lettuce? And, you know, I still do that sometimes if I get kale or, you know, some green that's not pre-washed. But there's a lot of, vegetables available that are already washed or cut. And, uh, you know, but but still people in their minds think that's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of components to the salad and I just want to eat a sandwich.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, it's like anything, right? You could take a half an hour to make a sandwich or you could slap together, you know, some peanut butter and jam and you're probably good to go in a minute. I think you could probably put together a salad in a few minutes, but, you know, I agree with you. I think the real barrier is salads can be labor intensive, right? And not everybody enjoys the time that it takes to make a salad. That would be my objection. But you know, like, there's a creative element to it, right? Like they, they tend to be colorful and texture driven. So there's reasons to like salad too, I suppose. Right?
0: Yeah. And there's things that you can do to make salads, make it a bit easier and encourage you know yourself to have salads, like to have crunchy nuts available or croutons or whatever it is you like and have legumes available already, you know, have some vegetables, have whatever it is you like in your salad, you know, have that pre-make dressing, which I do, which we keep in the fridge all the time. So we always have homemade dressing and I, you know, it lasts for quite a long time. So if I had to make a dressing each time I had a salad, I wouldn't do it, you know, so there are things that you can do.
2: Yeah. And, you know, to your point that, you know, salads don't have to be just vegetables. You know, they, there's lots of proteins that can go into salad. It's still salad, right? If you're chopping up leftover steak, for example, or putting tofu in, you can still put protein in. It doesn't have to be just vegetables or fruit for that matter.
0: Right. And I, I usually do put protein in it. And it was interesting because when I looked at this book, that uh, she didn't have a definition of salad. <laughs> she talks all of it's all about salad, but she doesn't say what she considers salads to be, and when I googled it, it seemed to be it was like vegetables with dressing, some right. kind of element of rawness. But even that, it can be, you know, pasta salad or steak salad. Or, you know, it can be fruit salad. Sure, it can have mix of cooked vegetables and raw. Doesn't need to be dressed either. So it's pretty
2: broad word. Yeah. You know, now that we're discussing it, it may be that I'm a salad freak and I don't even know it
0: right? Because I just listed a lot of things that you like.
2: That's true. You did. You tricked me, damn you. <laughs> let's talk about the cookbook. So, you know, it's I always find these talks interesting because like at the bottom line is, is, you know, like, what is this cookbook doing? Like, is it providing inspiration or is it actual recipe driven? Like, let's talk about the book.
0: Right. It's organized by season. So there's, you know, season fall, winter, spring, summer, and and within that, of course, it's flexible, but in the summer section, you've got you know, melons and berries and fresh tomatoes, et cetera. So that, I mean, that's fine. That's typical. But within that, there's a whole mix of side salads and main salads and you know, various things. And I used some of them definitely as jumping off points. You know, I did not follow the recipes exactly. I was accused with one of them as not even following it at all but i i disagree because for example there was a recipe for miso mushrooms and caramelized onion with farro and a herby hazelnut sauce right with an egg now i made farro made the miso mushrooms you actually made these but yes. anyways a herby almond sauce so i didn't make the caramelized onion i didn't make the egg we substituted almonds instead of hazelnuts. We added tofu, and we added roasted cabbage. So it's, it is very different. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't have put it together without the recipe. I wouldn't have thought of making a miso butter, and I wouldn't have made the lime or almond sauce. So who cares? You know, like I used it, and it was a delicious dinner. And whether I, next time I could choose to follow that recipe exactly, you know, or not. But I I found it to be useful.
2: You know, I, I think it goes to the confidence of the cook, right? If you are not confident in cooking or if you're new to it, you're probably going to stick to the recipe and that's that's perfectly fine. And then if you know your palate and you know how to cook, you know, a lot of these recipes are inspirational or aspirational and they're giving you guidelines of flavor profiles that go well together. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that.
0: Yes, I, I remember reading about how you should follow recipes because the person who wrote the recipe gave a lot of thought to it, and it's disrespectful not to follow it. And that's a nice thought, but I don't think it's realistic or necessary. And sometimes I make a recipe, change it, and think, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. You know, I made the New Year's Eve citrus avocado and little radish salad, which wasn't for New Year's Eve. I used the citrus, I used the avocado, but I didn't use as much radish because nobody really likes to eat radish. And I added fennel. It was very delicious. And it was easy, fresh, acidic, it, very simple. Next time, though, I wouldn't add the fennel because it covered up all the beauty of the different citrus colors and the avocado. So I laid it out beautifully and then covered it with fennel. So, you know, like that, that wasn't...
2: Or You could have put the fennel on the bottom, just so
0: I could have. I didn't, right? Okay. So these... It's an experiment. It doesn't matter. It tasted good. It still looked good. It just didn't look as pretty as it could have.
2: Fair enough. What other recipes of note did did you try on this book?
0: Well, I made a sauteed Swiss chard with a garlicky yogurt and crispy egg. I've seen many recipes for fried eggs on top of a yogurt. And I always thought that was interesting. Not sure if I would like it. It seems to be it's Turkish or Middle Eastern or Something similar to that. Uh, it was very good. I did use it with bread. Like to my mind, eggs on top of yogurt is just softness on top of softness, and still needs the bread. But this had the chard. Had yogurt on the bottom, then chard, then eggs, and it didn't really take much work. It was all cooked in the same pan, and the yogurts also stirred together. And it was good. It was a good lunch. It was easy to make. Mm-hmm. I also made roasted cauliflower with almonds, anchovies, and herbs. We've talked before about how anchovies are in everything right now. Yep. And they do go nicely with roasted cauliflower. I've I've made that before. And it was just, it was easy and a good complement to uh, the fish that we cooked. So I would, you know, make that again. Again, I'm not sure if that's a salad because it was a roasted vegetable with no, nothing wrong with it, but it doesn't matter. I still liked it. And then we made asparagus peas and cucumber cacio e pepe, which you were very skeptical.
2: Of. I was. I was I was on the fence before you made it. I wasn't sure.
0: That's right. And the author of the cookbook was very clear that this is not pasta. It's not going to be a substitute if you're expecting pasta. It's not. But the flavors were very good. It's shaved cucumbers, fresh peas, shaved broiled asparagus tossed with some arugula and a lemon garlic dressing and covered with grated cheese and pepper. It was very springy, nice and green and springy and bright and acidic. And it was very good. While I was making it, I was thinking, I, I myself was being skeptical about it, but it turned out well, and I would make it again and probably simplify it next
2: time. Yeah, and I remember telling you in the in the moment that you should like abs- This is one that we would make again, and the asparagus being, I guess it was roasted or broiled, it brought out. I don't. I don't know. It was like a charred flavor that married nicely with everything else. The cucumbers were like very light and bright, but the asparagus almost had a, like an umami thing going on with the cheese. It was actually a very well-balanced salad. I was quite surprised. Probably the best one you made out of that book, I think.
0: Yes, you have to trust the process sometimes. Sometimes. I I was wondering as I was shaving the asparagus and doing this and that, whether it would actually be good, but it was.
2: It was. was. Thank you so much for coming on the show today.
0: You're very welcome.
2: To read Naomi's reviews of cookbooks, please visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to discuss the hottest yoga trends with Jelena Da Silva on The Tonic. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com.
1: Suffering with pain or arthritis? Having trouble sleeping due to stress and anxiety? understand the benefits of medical cannabis science. Optican CB4 relief soft gels are formulated with patented Bezosorb pharmaceutical technology and are clinically proven to deliver four and a half times more CBD into your bloodstream three times faster than conventional CBD capsules. That's reliable relief in a nutshell and in an Optican soft gel. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist and sign up at with two with2Ns.ca
2: You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Our next guest, Jelena Da Silva, is a well-certified, passionate yoga teacher. Her love for yoga takes her across the GTA to teach at several studios and multiple clients. Her background in psychology and college athletics infuses her classes with a strong understanding of how mind and body function, whether it's leading a large outdoor event, a classroom of yogis, or in the home of a client. Her philosophy for teaching is simple teach with love, empathy, patience, and humility. She's also a frequent contributor to the Tonic magazine and a guest on the show. Welcome back. How are you?
3: I am doing well. Thanks so much for having me.
2: Yeah, I I set a task upon you, and that was, uh, and you had to do a little research, I think. We were looking for yoga trends. I wanted to know what's like new and hot in yoga. But the truth of the matter is yoga is an aesthetic and a lifestyle that's been around for centuries. So, like, was it really meaningful for me to put you into a search for trends?
3: You know, that is such a good question because, you know, the word trend kind of puts you on guard, especially when it comes to yoga. But one of the things that I think has made it possible for yoga to just to survive for centuries is the fact that it is so adaptable. And you have these trends that kind of reveal the zeitgeist of the age. So whether it's goat yoga or online yoga or, you know, any other kind of kitschy thing that comes along. Yeah. I think the challenge becomes that idea of adapting the practice without appropriating the practice, which is a really interesting dance that I think a lot of people in the yoga world are still learning, still learning how to do.
2: Well, you know, it's like a spectrum. They're the traditionalists who, you know, say, no, you know, we should be doing the traditional asanas and, and, you know, it's a lifestyle and how dare you change anything. And it's, cultural appropriation. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have, as you said, goat yoga. There's marijuana yoga. There's all kinds of, you know, who knows? Yoga and scotch, I'm sure, is out there, you know, on Instagram. There, there are certainly people that are, you know, uh, how shall I put this, flaunting their bodies while doing yoga. So there's there's all kinds of stuff going on there. For the article, the first trend that you identified was virtual yoga. What's that?
3: So it is something that took the yoga world by storm during the pandemic when we had to shift everything online. So Zoom yoga became the most accessible way to get a hold of the practice or people going on to YouTube or pre-recorded classes or online services. Those just started to boom. And we recognized that it made the practice so much more accessible for a larger audience. Because it became more affordable, it became more accessible. Because you could have yoga in your home, and it's definitely something that I think is here to stay.
2: Yeah, you've mentioned all the pros, right? Like, so it's accessible, and and you know mm-hmm. you don't have to go to the studio, and it's in your home, and you know it's cost efficient, etc., cetera, et cetera, There are there are a few drawbacks, right? Like you don't have somebody who can necessarily, if you're doing a live class, the yogi may be able to see you if it's a two way video and suggest changes to your form, but you don't have the in-class adjustments that you would have in a a studio, I would think is an issue, right? You know?
3: Yeah. And as a teacher, you know, I put on a brave face and said, isn't it wonderful? But I do miss that in-person experience. Because you do, you can have your eyes on the student. You have those hands-on adjustments. You get that reciprocal energy of teaching and then receiving the energy back from your students. There's many times where people will log on to a Zoom class and you're just teaching to a tiny little black square, yeah, which isn't as enjoyable. But at the same time, I've had some good experiences where if I'm teaching my private clients and it's just myself and them, I can watch them during the whole practice and speak to what I'm seeing on the screen. So there's definitely benefits and drawbacks to both ends, I would say.
2: Yeah. I guess the other element is, you know, a lot of studios went to trouble to create an environment that was conducive to yoga and comfort, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, it would be hard to do hot yoga in your home, not impossible, but you know, that's, that's an issue. And, you know, even just sort of
3: air conditioning. (laughs)
2: Exactly. Shut the windows. (laughs) But, you know, the other element is, you know, not we just put it in a home gym sort of to cut to the chase. Right. So we actually have a great environment to do whatever. We converted actually the old tonic office into, you know, a hard rubber floored gym where we can do all sorts of activities, but not everybody has that space. So Mm -hmm. I I would think the other drawback is, you know, the proper space to do yoga. Right.
3: Yeah, exactly. Which is one of the reasons why I think virtual yoga is here to say, but it's not going to overcome studio yoga, because there is something to be said for the physical space, like you said, not everybody has the space for it. And there's also something to be said for leaving your home and going to another place right. for an experience at a place, like you've mentioned, that has put a lot of work into the aesthetic, a lot of work into making a calm and peaceful environment. So although there is the convenience of doing it in your own home there is something to be said for going to a space and then also you have the community that right. forms there and the friends that you meet there so that is something that people really really missed and Is not going to be going away anytime soon although we have live stream classes now where people will go to the studio they'll set up a camera and even if you don't want to be in the studio they'll live stream the class and you can enjoy it at home
2: okay so it's like the best of both worlds sure keeping on the theme of venue the other or the next trend that you identified is outdoor yoga let's discuss that for a minute
3: yes so during the summer months a lot of studios did park yoga instead where you would shift outside, like specifically for Toronto, we ended up you know, getting permits to do yoga outdoors because you couldn't be in indoor venues. And that is an experience that I hope continues because you are actually in the world, you're in nature, you're practicing on the grass, you have to kind of deal with distractions here and there, people walking by with their dogs and little kids going, what are they doing? So it actually um, encourages you to focus on your own practice while still being out in the world and you get the sunlight and you get, you know, the greenery around you. That being said, not everybody picks up after their pet. (laughs) <laughs> and we've had a couple of incidents where people laid down the yoga mats thinking that it was okay and it was not
2: okay. So oh, that's a drawback That's a <laughs> for drawback. sure. We'll put that on the con list. Yes, uh, exactly. <laughs> you know, you remember because you used to teach at my events, but like we, we used to have OMTO at the distillery district and, you mm-hmm. know, there was certainly a vibe there, right? Like, you know, like it's different than being inside. Being outside and doing this, doing yoga is is quite amazing.
3: It really is. There's just something to be said for open air, sunlight, a lot of bodies coming together. It's just a completely different experience than being indoors.
2: Okay. So meditation, there's a lot of discussion about meditation and, 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 you know, the third a trend that you discussed was active meditation. But before we get to that, let's discuss for a moment how meditation fits into the yoga lifestyle.
3: Well, it's always been a part of yoga. I find with the Western world a lot of ways that people have come to meditation is through yoga. I like to think of awesome as, as like the gateway drug to meditation because <laughs> yeah. as people who have meditated can attest to, it's really hard to yep. just stop and sit still and watch your breath and learn how to observe your thoughts and calm your mind. Whereas if you move the body initially which was the whole idea behind yoga, was to move the body and stretch it so that it could sit for long periods of time in meditation. So it was like the precursor to the seated meditation experience. But the asana was what gained popularity because, you know, with people that are very action oriented, it's something that just complements their lifestyle. And now, as, you know, we've experienced these last few stressful years, so many people have taken up meditation, all these great online apps that make it accessible and have come to experience how beneficial it actually is.
2: Okay, so let's segue into active meditation. What is it and what is it's this trend? It's
3: an oxymoron. No. <laughs> yeah,
2: it is. It is confusing.
3: Isn't it though? And I think that it's, all, it's one of those uh, ways to make meditation more approachable and more adaptable. One of the best examples of active meditation that I like to use is walking meditation where you walk through nature or a cityscape in silence and you pull yourself into your senses. So the experience of your feet touching the ground, the temperature of the air as it brushes against your body, looking around you and taking in what you're seeing rather than getting lost in your own thoughts is a perfect example of what active meditation
2: can look like. So is this like a guided experience or is it just really you just not talking while you're going for a walk?
3: It can be. It can be guided. There are active meditations and walking meditations that are available on meditation apps. I myself use 10% Happier. I'm mildly obsessed with it. And they have some really beautiful guided active meditations. Or you can head out on a walk with a deliberate intention to be present to your surroundings rather than getting lost in ruminations. So there's a couple of different approaches that you can take.
2: Any other things that you're seeing on the horizon? You've got some stuff coming up in the near future, right? You're doing some stuff?
3: I do, yeah. So I recently left the big city and I'm in the Niagara region now, specifically Niagara-on-the-Lake, and it is a gorgeous area filled with beautiful farmlands and rolling vineyards. So we're going to be offering a yoga in the vineyard experience at Palatine Hills Estate Winery that I'm so excited for. So every Sunday at 10 a.m. starting June 12th, we're going to roll our mats out in the vineyard. And people can come for just yoga, enjoy the gorgeous surroundings, or they can stay for a taste of wine after the fact if they'd like.
2: Well, yoga and wine, duh.
3: Preaching to the choir here.
2: (laughs) (laughs) If people want more information about that, Jelena, where do they go?
3: They can visit my website, jelenayoga.com. We'll have the information going live, uh, most likely in the next week or so and also PalatineHillsEstateWinery.com.
2: Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. To read Juliana's articles in The Tonic magazine, please visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll answer the most popular social media questions about gut health with Desiree Nielsen on The Tonic. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's Unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens.
3: This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio.
2: Desiree Nielsen is a registered dietitian who takes an evidence-based integrative approach to her dietetics work with a focus on anti-inflammatory, plant-centered nutrition, and digestive health. Desiree is the author of multiple books, including one on anti-inflammatory nutrition called Unjunk Your Diet, a plant-based cookbook called Eat More Plants, 100 Anti-Inflammatory Plant-Celled Recipes for Vibrant Living, which became a number one national bestseller, and her new cookbook on gut health, Good for Your Gut, a Plant-Based Digestive Health Guide and Nourishing Recipes for Living Well, She's the host of Evidence Informed Wellness Podcast, the All Sorts Podcast, where she interviews leading experts on topics such as gut health, plant-based nutrition, and more. Welcome to the show, Desiree. How are you?
4: I'm doing really well, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm going to come clean. I am terrible at social media. I'm never up on all the trends, but I, I gather you are. And there are a lot of topics on gut health that are top of mind on social media. Can we go through those today?
4: Yeah, absolutely.
2: So we discussed FODMAP diet on the show sort of in the tertiary, not up front. So can you explain what it is and and what we're getting right about it and what we're getting wrong about it?
4: For sure. There is a lot of talk about low FODMAP diets, and we definitely get a ton wrong about it. But at its heart, the low FODMAP diet is a temporary learning diet. It's an elimination for folks specifically with irritable bowel syndrome. FODMAPs are fermentable carbohydrates found in some of our healthiest foods from apples to lentils and garlic. And so they're actually really good for most of us. They help feed the gut microbiome. But specifically for folks with IBS, a low FODMAP diet can help reduce their symptoms and help them to learn how specific foods affect their IBS. And so the number one thing that we get wrong about a low FODMAP diet is A, that FODMAPs are bad. And B, that a low FODMAP diet is forever. I meet so many people with IBS who go on low FODMAP and they come to see me after a year and they feel terrible. And it's because we're only meant to do a low FODMAP for, you know, 6, 8, 12 weeks max, ideally under the guidance of a dietitian, And then we bring those foods back so that we understand how specific foods affect us.
2: Is that because certain people are affected different ways by very specific foods?
4: Yeah, and, you know, it's really important to note that the FODMAPs didn't cause someone's IBS. So, like, once this process is turned on in the body, and IBS can have multiple causes from a disordered gut microbiome to nervous system changes because our nervous system is really important for our digestive function. Mm -hmm. And so it's about being able to individualize because so often with IBS, people feel a little bit fearful, Of food because they eat and then they feel terrible and so what a low FODMAP experience does is help give people the tools to say you know what actually I feel really great if I eat chickpeas and lentils but if I eat wheat I know that I'm going to feel a little bit more uh, symptomatic and then that really puts the power back in someone's hands so that they can feed themselves well and you know reduce their symptoms, but then also feel like their relationship with food is a lot better than it was before.
2: So would you recommend the low FODMAP diet for people who don't have IBS? Because I know some people who are trying it and I don't know that they have IBS. They're doing it because of bloating or constipation or or other sort of effects.
4: We only have evidence to support using a low FODMAP diet in IBS. And like roughly 70% of folks with IBS, if they try the diet, they'll feel better. And so I think that's one of the reasons why people with bloating, which also occurs a lot in IBS, think that this might be better for them. But we don't actually have any data to show that it is. And particularly with bloating, bloating is so complex. Most of us think bloating is caused by food intolerances, but bloating can be caused by stress. It can actually be caused by constipation. If you're you've got a sluggish gut and you've got a lot of stool backed up in the gut, that's going to block the normal passage of gas. It can even be caused by your abdominal wall doing the opposite of what it's supposed to. So when you eat your abdominal wall, your nervous system is supposed to actually hug it in tight to help support the gut as you digest. And for some people the gut wall pops out as soon as you eat, leading to really extreme bloating every time you eat. So I would not recommend going on a low FODMAP diet. I would recommend sussing out the root causes of your bloating with a doctor and a
2: dietitian first. Yeah, so when your gut pops out like that, I believe the technical term is food baby. <laughs> right?
4: Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, it's normal <laughs> to have. And I think this is one of the things that I, was really important to me to talk about and Good for Your Gut is what is normal, versus what is common, right? because I see two ends of the spectrum, which is the first that people have been suffering from like intense bloating or constipation for years, and they don't do anything about it. They've just sort of normalized it for them. Whereas we have so many opportunities to like make that better with nutrition and lifestyle. We have tons of data to support that. But then on the opposite side, like in the wellness world, where I tend to hang out a lot, we also pathologize like really normal variation in gut health. Great example is the food baby. (laughs) You know, if you have a big like holiday feast or a big celebratory feast and eat way more than normal, It's completely normal that you're going to be bloated and feel a little tired, you know, like totally normal. This is not something we need to quote unquote fix, you know, go for a walk, sleep it off, that kind of thing. So we sort of like create these problems of like gas, gas is totally normal also and bloating and then like sell you really expensive supplements or like really restrictive diets to quote unquote fix it.
2: Yeah. So I'm going to play this back for my wife to let her know that gas is totally normal and I am not abnormal. Sorry, too much information.
4: Well, gut health dietitian, that's never TMI for me.
2: So let, let's go over some other stuff that people are talking about. And maybe you can do some debunking for us. For sure. So food combining, what is it and is there a science behind it?
4: Okay, so food combining is a very old, um, there, there are parts of, you know, Western food combining that actually come from Ayurveda. Yep. How most of us in wellness talk about food combining its origin is this like nineteen seventies diet book called Fit for Life. Yep. I mean that should be your first clue. The second is that food combining, the idea is that your body can't digest certain combinations of foods well and that you should always eat fruit on an empty stomach. Right. There is absolutely no science behind this. And in fact, if anyone claims that food combining is important for digestive health, like you need to run in the other direction because they don't even know how the human body works. Like a great example with fruit, it is impossible for anything to rot in your stomach because rotting takes a lot of microbes and a lot of time and your stomach is very acidic. Therefore, not many microbes live there. And food starts to empty from your stomach in like, you know, as little as 20 minutes. And even after a big meal, after a couple of hours, your stomach is empty. Like it is physically impossible for anything to rot in your stomach where the rotting actually happens. Is in your colon, which is where like the vast majority of the trillions of gut bacteria live. And that's a good thing. You want them fermenting in there because it has all of these beneficial effects on the human body.
2: You know, the whole fit for life phenomenon. I can't believe we're still talking about it. I remember when friends were doing it back in the 80s and there were like restaurants that sort of were catering to it. I'm not a big diet fad guy. It seems kind of ridiculous to me. I was actually shocked to see that this was still a thing, but I guess it is, and I'm, gl- I'm glad you went there. Okay, so if we're feeling constipated, what foods should we eat?
4: So the thing with constipation, it's super common, like 25% of Canadians have symptoms of constipation at any one time. Right. The most important thing for constipation, you know, you have to divide it into, A, making it better when it happens, and B, prevention. Yep. So when we're really constipated, You might think, oh, I'm just going to eat a ton of fiber. But if your gut is super slow and you just pile fiber onto it, all of a sudden, it's actually going to make things way worse. Hmm. So the most important thing you can do is drink a ton of water.
2: Water, yeah.
4: Dehydration is a significant underlying factor in constipation. And then there are some foods that can help move things along without causing too many issues. The first, I mean, grandma's favorite, prunes. Yep. They work. They really work. Not only are they high in fiber, but they have special sugars that draw water to them to help add volume to the stool so that you pass it. If you're not a huge prunes fan, which I think they're highly underrated, you can also try kiwis, two kiwis a day. Again, fiber, but then also a specific substance that helps to stimulate the movement of the gut. And there's a little bit less research for kiwis, but they do seem to work. The other thing that I love is psyllium. Mm -hmm psyllium you know it's sold as something called metamucil in the pharmacy it's a, a special fiber that is highly gelling so again it binds a lot of water and helps things to pass so if you're in like a constipated moment lots of water gentle walks and one two three or all of those foods
2: fantastic we have time for one last question and that is if we're feeling bloated are there any foods should we eat
4: yeah. So bloating is hyper complex, as I mentioned. Yeah. It could be sitting too long in a tight waistband. It could be stress. When we're in a really bloated moment, though, water absolutely helps. And then there are two things you want to try for like a quick fix to help it pass. The first is ginger. You could do pickled ginger, crystallized ginger. Ginger is what we call a prokinetic. It helps to speed the movement, particularly of the upper gut. So chewing on some ginger boiling some ginger tea the other option is fennel seed you can either get like candied fennel seed or just some like fennel some fresh fennel seeds from your spice drawer it helps to expel wind it's more of a traditional remedy but you could also do fennel tea too
2: fantastic thank you so much for coming on the show today
4: yeah thank you for having me
2: for more information about Desiree Nielsen you can visit DesireeRD.com I presume the RD is for registered dietitian right
4: you got it (laughs)
2: Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Umar Syed, Naomi Bass, Jelena de Silva, and Desiree Nielsen. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic magazine. The May-June issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our new website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Bussin wishing you a healthy and happy week.